Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus, episode 538, coming to you on the 29th of November, that's 2023, the year of our Lord, 2023, yes, that's right, and today's episode is going to be entitled, What the Wednesday? Yes, I, I know exactly what I'm saying there. And you can figure it out on your own. (laughs) I got to tell you, before we get into the subject matter of the day, before, before we break the topic in, let me just tell you, I'm quite perplexed and disappointed on where we are today. That is the basis of this episode today. Before we get to that, let me remind you the best way you can help me make a difference to help my four listeners. That's right. Like, share, and subscribe to this program. Follow me on the social media of your choice. Follow me on your podcatcher of choice. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. That's right. And if you're feeling particularly motivated, you can even go rate and review this here program. You see, my four listeners are getting really tired. (laughs) All right, here we go on with the program. And before I do that, I probably should remind you that, yes, I have a group and a page over on Facebook. I also drop in at Gab and MeWe to share my show. And I would love to get your feedback on what I'm doing and how I can do it better. So please come and join me on the social media of your choice. And with that, here we go. I've been looking at the state of affairs, the the omnipresent zeitgeist of the world today. I've often joked that I'm the embodiment of all that is wrong in today's world. The modern world sees guys like me, white Christian, straight, heteronormative, cisgendered male Christians as the bane of everybody's existence, the basis of all that is evil and wrong in the world today. Well, I reject that out of hand because it's stupid. (laughs) It's not even worthy of a rebuttal. What is, is the idea that just because something has been the way it has been, it's automatically bad and it automatically needs to be rejected or reformed. Now, a lot of my life, I've been rebellious. I've I've wanted to push back, challenge the norms, question why things are the way they are. And, And I'll credit that to... A strong, let's call it distrust, dislike of authority. And I think I would base most of that on authority that abused its power and it abused its position. And that was my reaction. And I came to see pretty much all forms of authority to be lumped in with that as a young person. Now I grew out of it and I matured and I, and I found a way to 
deal with the world as it is. And, and you will all do that. It's part of your life. It's part of growing up. It's part of becoming mature adults. But the danger is that by making peace, by accepting the world that we're in, we we lose the ability to find things that are wrong. We lose the willingness to call a spade a spade. We fail to hold the line. Now, I've talked about this many times about the concept that conservatives don't actually conserve anything, that, that conservatives aren't worthy of their own name. I've talked about the idea that the Benedict option isn't an option any longer. That perhaps the Boniface option is the right option. For those of you that are not familiar, the Benedict option is a book written by Roger Ayer. Now, I have some level of residual respect for Roger Ayer, and I appreciate what he was trying to accomplish. And in a normal world, it made sense. We're in clown world. We don't really have that option anymore. If we want to go off on our own and lead our own lives, we will not be allowed that option any longer. That leaves us the Boniface Boniface way of dealing with things. That is to proclaim truth and to be bold, to be in the face. And what's ironic and sad and disappointing is the trash world or the clown world that we live in today. We're forced to accept that those that we thought were our leaders, those that were our thought leaders, our anointed leaders, the ones that have the right degrees, that do the right things, that hold the right positions, that they were supposed to be worthy of our trust. We were supposed to be able to follow them and be willing to to take to follow their lead, right? To take to take trust in that they were doing the right thing, to believe that they had everybody's best interests in heart. Now, I got to admit, in part, I was inspired by a conversation in a podcast that John Harris puts out, not to be confused with Joshua Harris. John Harris uh, went to seminary, came out and has really been calling out while well, he's podcast his conversations that matter. You should go check that out. In fact, if you want to go pause my show right now and go listen to the Conversation That Matters episode that came out this last week. And he had John Cooper on, the lead singer of Skillet. Now, I'll be honest, I'm vaguely aware who John Cooper is. I know what Skillet is, but I don't listen to Skillet. I, I If I'm going to listen to heavy metal or heavy rock, I don't get much beyond Metallica or Van Halen. And Okay, fine. Uh, they're nothing that I want to necessarily advocate that young kids should listen to, but as a child of the eighties, how can you not like those? Bands? <laughs> but that being said, it's not my thing. It's not my preference. So I am vaguely aware. Now what's funny is a friend of mine, when we were both post high school was all in the skillet. He knew all about them. Uh, apparently they're from near my hometown. So they must've been a local phenom before they made it big. Okay. Whatever. 
the sad the sad thing is is I'm listening to and looking at a guy that's essentially known for being a rock star. Now, granted, according to his own interview, he's read like a hundred books on these topics. And while he will be the first first to say he's not a theologian and he couldn't really debate eschatology, he's pretty firm on what he believes and why he believes it and what the biblical reasoning behind it is. And that's something to be said for that. I mean, I look at him as an average Joe that just happens to be famous for being able to sing and play in a band. Interesting, right? So here's this guy who I, I guess much like me, I'm, I'm going to assume he's around my age. You know, there were, there were certain people that we trusted that we, that we thought better of. Now he named some of the names. I mean, Tim Keller, Russell Moore, I think might've come up, uh, Andy Stanley, right? These are all names that we associated with being good evangelical pastors that wanted to do the right thing. We gave them a certain level of trust. Now, he's written a whole book on it. He talks about it, and he's far more involved or interested in this than I am. And to be fair, this is kind of John Harris's bread and butter, right? He talks about all the problems, the progressive nature of our own churches, the abandoning of, we'll call it normal historical Christianity for the new enlightened progressive evangelicalism that basically is just shy of going full heretical, rejecting, I, I, I don't even know what the right word is. I, it'll come to me later. Just suffice it to say, they're redefining what it is to be a Christian. They're redefining what it is to have faith. And quite frankly, it's disturbing, disappointing, but apparently should have been all too all predictable based upon what these guys have experienced and what they've seen. Now, one of the other people that they brought up, and I'll admit, I'm only vaguely aware of her because of my wife and listening to some of the... Um, podcast episodes from Melissa Childers. Again, if you don't know who that is, you go check it out. Uh, look up her bio and her podcast. Again, she spends a lot of time talking about progressive Christianity and the effects that it's had on the apostating of the church, right? There's the word I was looking for. <laughs> so again, this is not my thing. This is kind of outside of my comfort zone. Again, I have my own opinions on this. I, I have my own firm beliefs on the matter, but this is not something I've studied. It's not something I've taken a lot of interest in only because I've always looked at the church as my place, right? That's home. There's not battles there. There shouldn't be wars there. There, there, there shouldn't be people that are, quite frankly, selling us out. Silly me. And I know I've brought this up in the past. I mean, I'm 500 plus episodes in here and I I know I've mentioned it for more than one time or another, but I try not to dwell on this. I I want to see good positive things when I go to church. I want to be able to check out of the culture war temporarily. I want to be able to put aside the political machinations of uh, the secular world when I go to church. I want to be able to worship God and focus on good sound teaching and be fed. But sadly, a lot of churches don't want to do that anymore. They're more in tune with following through on whatever the latest message 
It is. They're, they're more concerned about being culturally attuned and fitting in with the latest zeitgeist of the world. I've, I've referenced the idea of unhitching, right? The, the idea where we're going to dismiss the Old Testament. That's not really applicable to us anymore. I've, I've talked about the idea where they're reimagining things. I, I, I've maybe mentioned, and if I haven't, I'll, I'll kind of touch base on it briefly now, that it was incomplete. There's more to it. There, there's the evolving. There's the constantly reforming brand of Protestantism. Now, all of this should be concerning. And to give credit where credit is due, the the Catholic Church, the Coptic Church, the Orthodox Church, the Oriental Church have always based a large part of what they've taught and what they've implemented on both tradition as well as the scriptures. Whereas the Protestants, we reformers said, yeah, that's fine, but your tradition is kind of messed up. Your tradition has been infused with paganism essentially, right? That that was the argument. And we want to separate that. We want to focus only on what the Bible has to say. We want to focus on our understanding of the scripture. And clearly you guys have got it wrong. Now, on the surface of it, the reformers had a good answer. They had a, they had a good theory here. I'm not rejecting that. I'm not going to get caught up in the milieu. <laughs> Boy, I don't even know if that's the right word. <laughs> the battle, if you will, between Protestantism and the Orthodox or Protestantism and the Catholics or the Catholics in the um, Orthodox. And then when you throw in the Coptics and the Oriental Church, it gets really, really messy. And they broke apart and went their separate ways over basic scriptural doctrines that were uber important at the time. And now we break up over carpet, hymnals women preachers. Well, actually, I guess maybe that's not a bad thing to bring. Well, I mean, just the, the trivial things, right? If you can't agree on what the basis of the Trinity is, okay, you're probably going to part company. If you can't agree that God raised his son from the dead, it's probably a good reason to break fellowship. If you can't agree on foundational things like that, it's probably a good reason to, to separate and go your part, you know, different ways. If you can't make peace with the idea of venerating saints or putting Mary as the queen of heaven. Yeah. It's probably a good reason to not be part of that church. I'm not choosing to argue one way or the other. I'm just saying those are definite things that you're going to disagree on. Those are legitimate things that have historical traditional value present, but you break faith over that. You, you say, we're going to go our own way, but in no way, shape or form do you question that, you know, Christ was the only begotten son. Now, you you might argue over how did that physically manifest itself, right? And I think that's where the Orientals broke away from the Orthodox. Or before the Orthodox and the Catholics separated, the Orientals left. And look, these are all interesting things. They're challenging, especially when it comes down to man being able to understand something that perhaps man can't understand. But what man can and should understand is women are women, men are men. Men can't become women and women can't become men. And people that think they are the other have a mental illness problem. People that choose to live in a lifestyle that is anathema to what God created have a problem. Now, 
it's sinful behavior, just like all this other sinful behavior. Yes. But why are we making these special carve outs or creating these different ways of treating people or pretending there's not a problem there when there is? Why do we do that? Maybe it's a divination based upon the social gospel. Maybe it's just the latest thing. Maybe it's because the church has caved into the message. I don't really know. But you know what? If you go listen to John Cooper, he'll tell you that it's we've bought in the postmodern world mindset into the churches. That the churches themselves have bought into that the theology, I guess would be the way to phrase it, right? The theory behind it. That your truth is your truth. Your story is your story. And that there is nothing that is universally true or right or wrong. That should be very disturbing. That flies in the face of historical Christianity, of biblical faith. Yet here we are in the modern world, in our very churches, the things that are supposed to be the pillars of all foundation in Western civilization, they can't even tell you that a homosexual couple is in sin without having to qualify and quantify it and basically make as many excuses as possible for sinful behavior. Now, to be fair, they don't really call out the adulterers, the gluttons, the backbiters either. Perhaps we should. I've always told my wife that I'm okay being uncomfortable for my sinful behavior. I'm okay with being called on the carpet for my own bad thoughts, but I shouldn't go to church and be made to feel uncomfortable because somebody else is being told that their sinful behavior is special and it's okay. Or we're going to give this special permission for your sinful behavior to be treated differently than everybody else's sinful behavior. That bothers me. The idea that a pastor that I used to sit under has now basically gone apostate and is proud of it is very problematic to me. The fact that he's basically soiling the parents vision for him, his ministerial mantle has been cast aside. That's very disturbing and very disappointing. In fact, I have gone out of my way to not pay attention to not look into it, to not be dragged down into that because, quite frankly, I don't know how I'd react if I saw the guy. I really liked him. I really respected him. There's a significant history in my family with this guy. I can't just look past that. I can't just ignore that. But how how do you make peace with that? I don't know. This is nothing unique. This is nothing new. It's just something that's close to home and it hits hard. It's a gut shot. They they talk about you start compromising on these things and sooner or later, there's nothing left to compromise. And I have talked about this directly in politics many, many, many times about the conservatives not conserving anything. Well, when we look at theology that's liberal, theology that is progressive, theology that is always reforming, What does it really stand for? Now, look, I understand this is probably the most Christian my podcast has been in quite some time, and perhaps you're uncomfortable with it. I get it. I understand. Respectfully, go with me here. If they're successfully destroying and undermining the church, 
What do you think is going to happen to the rest of our culture? What do you think is going to happen to the rest of our civilization? There would be no Western civilization without the Christian church. I'll even allow for the idea that the dueling churches, right? The Protestants fighting with the Catholic church and to a lesser extent, the Catholic church fighting with the Orthodox church brought about a better outcome, brought out a stronger Western culture long-term. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but I would make that argument. I think I could make a valid argument. Now, granted the Byzantine empire, the Eastern Roman empire eventually was destroyed by the caliphate largely due to bad behavior on the part of Western powers. But if you look at it historically, success breeds its own demise. And as I look at the country I sit in right now, we are quickly approaching our 250th anniversary. Which, for those of you that are aware, historically mindset, you know that's kind of about how long a country lasts, an empire lasts. And just so we're clear, the United States is an empire. Now, whether it was an empire based on good things or not, we were founded by Christian men or people that were acting in a Christian way based upon what they understood at that time period. And going to put forth their faith. There are several books that were written about God, or God, guns, and or God, God, gold, and guns. I think. I, basically, the thing is, there were multiple things that motivated these people. There were multiple things that brought them out to conquer the world, which Western civilization did essentially. But we sowed the seeds of our own destruction, our own demise, based upon our own bad behavior, because we're fallen, sinful men. So I got to ask, what is the point? What the heck are we thinking? Are we so willing to jettison, essentially, 2,000 years of understood things, because suddenly we figured out something more? Suddenly we figured out something better? I would submit to you that it's the Reformation 2.0, perhaps. It's the the next wave of the social gospel. It's whatever you want to call it. But if we're not sure what we believe and why we believe it, why would the world care? If, If we're going to allow people that are supposed to be our leaders, supposed to be the fighters or the defenders of the faith, basically undermine and destroy the faith that we commit to, why we tolerate that? Why do we accept that? Why do we pretend they're one of us any longer? Just like the conservatives can't conserve, Christians can't Christianize anything if they don't even know what Christianity is. If we're allowing it to be redefined by people that, quite frankly, aren't interested in the historical basis of anything. They want to rewrite and redefine everything based upon their latest contextual argument. I'm disappointed. The tradition was there for a reason. Those fences were put in for a reason. It's our job to find out what they were before we tear them down. 
So when I look at what's going on in my church, not my church specifically, but the Protestant church, right? When I, when I see how this has played out and I see what they're dealing with, even in the, in the Catholic world, right? You've got your hippie Pope. He's de- basically removing people that stand for historical Catholic faith because they're opposing him. When, when you look at what happened to the Church of England, when you, when you look at the latest controversy of our various centers of faith, we have to wake up to the idea that nothing is safe. And it's up to us. We have to know what we're doing and why we're doing it. Now, I understand. I started out this episode with the idea of what the, because that's the deal. What the heck is going on? What in the world is driving these things? Now, look, if you don't have faith, I get it. This is, you know, maybe you've already turned me off by now. Bear with me for just a couple more minutes here. There is no United States without Western civilization. There is no Western civilization without Christianity. Whatever branch you want to defend and say is best. Okay, fine. Not going to go down that path. I have my own belief about that. You're free to have your own. We'll agree to disagree. And we can disagree without being disagreeable. But if we're going to pretend that you can rewrite the faith, that you can redesign what Christianity is, you can redesign what the Bible says because it makes you feel better. And we're going to reject normative things because it upsets people, makes people sad. If we're going to defend mental defect, we're going to defend the exception to the rule and make it the new rule. If we're going to redesign the world as it was created to go with whatever worldview that we're trying to allow to dominate, we're not going to last. So everything that I've done in the political world, everything that I do by showing up to do this show, everything that I did to raise my children, everything that I've ever done is meaningless if my own faith has been destroyed. Now, not my personal faith, but the faith that I belong to. If they're willing to jettison it for convenience, if they're willing to destroy it for the message, what am I defending any longer? It's very hard to be Boniface when you have to be Boniface to your own church as well as the unbelievers. But perhaps that's just where we're at. Perhaps that's what we need to be doing. Perhaps we should be cleaning our own house first and foremost. Perhaps we need to ask, what the world do you think you're doing? And I don't care if the title's pastor, elder, deaconess, deacon, whatever. Priest, prophet, it doesn't matter to me. Apostle, Pope. When they're wrong, when they're rewriting scripture, when they're rejecting scripture, they're no longer Christians. How can they be? If you're going to deny the deity of Christ, by very definition, you don't believe in Christ. If you're going to go and question all the various teachings and things that have been taken by faith for 2,000 years, you're the problem, not the faith. You're the one that needs to leave. You're the one that needs to change. That's the way we need to look at these things. That's the way I see it. And, you know, 
in case you forgot, the show is called According to Cal's for that specific reason, because it is according to me. It is how I see it. It is what I understand about it. And occasionally, yeah, maybe I'll get it wrong. And if somebody can show it to me, if somebody can put me in front of evidence that clearly shows that I'm wrong, I'll be the first guy to admit it, swallow my pride and say, I got it wrong. But I'll tell you what, I'm feeling really confident that I'm on the right track here. So for those of you that are Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, whatever the whatever you want to call yourself, I would suggest maybe just maybe start looking into some of these guys that are the new heroes of the faith, the guys that are defending the faith as it's been understood for, I don't know, 1800, 2000 years, not these people that are rewriting things to deal with their feelings. Not these people that are rejecting historical Christianity so that they can sell a few more books. I'm not sure which worse, the prosperity preacher or the person that will sell out his own people. In fact, I think they're doing the same thing. And I don't care what their name is. But I'm not here to pick a battle with people that could potentially squash me. I'm here to call a spade a spade. If you're deceiving people, if you're leading them down off of that narrow road, perhaps you need to be held account. You need to be called out. Somebody needs to put you on notice. And little old me, I just did. If you know who you are, you better make peace with God because that's your only way going forward. And for those of you that have been following along just to see where this is going to go, this is the end. But guess what? I'll be back tomorrow. And until then, I'll see you on the other side.